Hi, I'm Gianni Pieraccioni. I'm the CEO of Maesa, a beauty incubator. What I love about beauty is the fact that the consumers are never satisfied. Companies are always in search of uh, the new novelty and consumers are absorbing these new novelties all the time. This dynamism makes it uh, so fascinating. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome to Beauty is Your Business. I'm Denise Dante, and I am here with my business partner at Buzz Beauty and my co-host for today, Jessica Quick. Hi, Jessica. Hey, Denise. I am looking so forward to this conversation we're going to have today. So am I. Let's welcome our guest. Hi, Gianni. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What about you? Fantastic. We are so excited to have you on the show. Jessica and I have been talking about this for at least a week. So thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you uh, so much for uh, having me, and uh, I really feel flattered by your words. So, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think what I have really enjoyed in getting to know you over the past few years is you really have been with a lot of different, very iconic brands and made a huge impact both in the beauty industry as well as just fast-moving consumer goods. I can't think of a store that I can go into and not see a product that you have somehow or another been involved with. So would love to hear a little about your journey into beauty and business. You've worked and lived around the world. It's just super exciting. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, actually, I wanted to be a soccer player. <laughs> so really, I never thought about being in beauty when I was very young. And when I started off in Procter & Gamble, I started off in laundry detergents, which is very different from beauty, as you can understand. But at a certain point in time, they moved me into the beauty business, and that was uh, an epiphany for me. I loved it so much. Jumped forward a few years, because in between Procter & Gamble and uh, the next company, which is Johnson & Johnson, I had an experience in PepsiCo, which was a completely different category, of course, but at the same time, a great experience in terms of understanding international markets because I lived in so many countries during those years. I started off in, in Italy, then I went into Spain, and then I went into the United States. Then I spent a lot of time in Brazil and the rest of Latin America, back to the United States. But then at a certain point in time, I went into Johnson & Johnson. Those were the years in which Johnson & Johnson were rolling out the Neutrogena and Rock, so lots of skincare, but also some color cosmetics in Rock. And we were very successful. Again, it was my second moment of epiphany with uh, beauty. And at that point in time, I was really in love with beauty. And after that, I had uh, several experiences uh, in other companies. The most important ones are Revlon, where you and I met. In Revlon, I was initially the uh, president of the consumer division and then the chief operating officer with the three divisions underneath me. And then uh, after Revlon, I went into Cody. Cody was also a great experience. I ran the consumer beauty for one year. I ran the European, uh, Europe, Africa, Middle East region when they restructured the company, eliminating channels and going into regions. And recently, in uh, February of this year, I've joined uh, Maesa. Great, great business, completely different from the companies I've seen in the past. In the past, where the main companies were really legacy, big, uh, fast-moving consumer goods companies. This is a, an incubator. I call it the kind of unicorn in beauty. 
It is true. Love this idea of it being an incubator. And that is definitely something that we want to talk about is where you're planning to take Maesa, where it's at currently. And I think what I find really fascinating about Maesa is you've been able to curate and build and develop some amazing brands that are very modern and very timely. When you walk through someplace like a Target and so forth, you see these brands and you can tell that a lot of effort and energy has been put into them. So what is some of your criteria around building and incubating a brand or how are you going about structuring this incubation process? First of all, let me start from the mission of Maesa because this allows us to have a, a better perspective on how the process works. We really want to challenge conventions and what we want to do is really redefining standards of what is possible in beauty and in personal care. So in a way, we try to bring the future into the present. How Maesa works is the following. We have a group of people that we call the blue sky people. These are product developers and marketers who probably have the best job in the world. They come to the office every day and they need to invent new brands. Now, how do they do it? They look at gaps, gaps in the market, unmet needs, consumer insights are not really fulfilled by any product which is available right now. And they do this by looking at the shelves, looking at what is uh, on shelf on big retailers like Target, Walmart, Sephora, or uh, Ulta. Once they understand that there is a, a niche or a gap which needs to be fulfilled, at that point in time, we start our conceptual development and we find a partner, uh, two partners. One is a retailer partner who is willing to incubate the brand. And the other one is a founder partner. Because I think that the juice is exactly in this, in having uh, somebody who is not important for us for uh, the fact that it is a celebrity, but for the fact that it is authentic and really has a say in the category that we want to launch. So that's the reason why all our brands have uh, co-founder partners. And these co-founder partners are really people who have a lot of credibility with the consumers when they talk about the category of beauty in which the brand operates. That is very interesting. With the role of this co-founder in your company, how do you have them execute that? Do they become part of the company? Are they strictly only with this brand? Can you talk a little bit about that? Normally, they dedicated their, themselves to this business uh, in a significant manner. So even though most of them, all of them have other jobs, they also have uh, a strong interest in developing this business because they are co-owners of the brands. So for them, it is important because not only they put their face and they put their image on, on this brand, but at the same time, they have, a, they have an interest, an economic interest in this brand. We really create partnerships. Our company is all about partnerships. It is one of the most important elements of our mix. We want to be true partners, which means we, we are the incubator of choice for both customers, trade customers, and founder partners. So does it ever work the other way? Do you ever get somebody coming to you as potentially a celebrity partner or a founder, co-founder, and says, hey, I'd love to do this. Could you help? Does it come that way? That's an interesting question, uh, Jessica, because we have a list of people. We have a long line of people at our door. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes, every time, every day. Probably almost every day we have a contact. And we need to be very selective. By being incubators, we are different from the big legacy companies. So we have the possibility of launching many brands every year. Actually, with this year, we've just launched five brands, so which is a, a remarkable number of brands, you know. But at the same time, we need to be very selective because, you know, resources by definition are scarce. And second, we really need to make sure that we are successful with these brands. We 
cannot allow ourselves any failure. From a distribution standpoint, because that's the other component that you mentioned is finding a distribution partner. What does that look like for you? You know, I know there's so much competition amongst the different retailers right now. Everybody is trying to get traffic into their store. We run into it all the time. So how do you pick your distribution partners or do they, to Jessica's point, do they pick you? Well, first of all, they need incubators like us. And the reason is that if you think about it, brick and mortar retailers in this very moment are trying to differentiate their offering as much as possible and make it very peculiar and proprietary because uh, they're facing a gigantic competition from Amazon. The difference between them and Amazon is that they have a limited shelf, physically limited shelf. Amazon, a shelf which is not limited. There is no physical limitation that can carry every possible product on earth. So they need to have something which is peculiar for them. And they need to, as you said, they need to traffic. So there is a strong interest in new brands. And in fact, you see that every day there are new brands popping up on the shelves and not necessarily they come from incubating companies like us. Sometimes they come even from legacy big companies, very seldom, I would say. Most of the time they come from indie brands or startups. The difference between us and the startups and the indie brands is that we have a structure. We are not small. We are a company with a medium size we have a structure, we have uh, processes, systems, so we have a supply chain, and we have all the elements that differentiate us from uh, the indie brands. And in a way, we have the best of the legacy companies and the best of the indie brands. How do we select the partner? Well, we select the partner according to where we find the gap, because uh, every retailer has gaps in its own offering, its own shelf. So we look at the shelves, and if we find a gap in one retailer, we go to with that retailer. Of course, not all retailers are made equal, and some of them have much more impact in terms of image and critical mass in the marketplace than others. But eventually, we're open to work with everybody. And it's interesting. So when we talk about legacy versus incubating versus indie beauty, speed plays a role in this and trend and what's in market. And we know that legacy can lag. And that seems like an area that you are able to pick up and have the benefits of both. It sounds like you can be fast, efficient, as well as have the power and the processes so is speed something that you focus on as well, being quick to market? We do, and big time. And you're totally right. There is a, a paroxysmic quest for novelty in this marketplace right now. The sooner you get to the market, the more possibilities you have to make an impact and to find space on the shelves, okay? So, and also the, the, there is a really a thirst that needs to be quenched, not only by the consumers, but also by the trade customers. They really want to have these novelties and they want them now. We have an advantage because we're small, so internally, our decision-making process is really very fast. Our approval process is very fast. We are small as compared to the big legacy companies, of course. At the same time, we don't take shortcuts, but I mean, we are a company which has been built by entrepreneurs. So it's really the entrepreneurial spirit is part of our decision-making process. So we are very fast. Even if we take risks, we know that given the size of our business, which is not the huge size of the big L'Oreal, Estelle Lauder, or these kind of companies, we have the possibility of making mistakes. So if we make mistakes, the consequence from an economic standpoint is not really gigantic. At the same time, we don't want to do failures, so we don't want to make mistakes. So 
we are very attentive to this, but you know, uh, we know that we can take some risk more than anybody else. So at Buzz, we tend to get quite a few founders that come to us with great product ideas or things that they're absolutely in love with. So curious, Gianni, with all of your experience, what is your process that you look at to decide that's definitely either a segment or a product that I'm interested in pursuing? Do you have a process or kind of a decision tree that you go through? Yes, of course. We want to go after the, the most important trends of the market, of course. Now, it is clear that hair care has been a major development in recent years. It is clear that body care, particularly after COVID, has been growing very fast. Skin care goes without saying, it's really very much of a focus. Fragrances are coming back. There are new categories like wellness, which are popping up right now at the horizon. Men's grooming is going well. So there are lots of categories that are categories of focus. Of course, there are so many other categories that get a lower priority. Normally, the way we do this, we scorecard these categories in terms of how the categories are developing in the marketplace, but also in terms of how many gaps there are in these categories in terms of unmet needs. What is our know-how as a company? What are our capabilities in terms of marketing in a specific category instead of another? The final decision has to do with the, our capability of offering something which is really unique, different. Let me give you some examples. We recently launched into one of the most important retailers. I don't want to mention them because consumers know where this product is. We launched a brand which is called the Mix Bar. It is the first experience of a fragrance which is made up by a combination of different scents that you can layer one on the, on the other to create your own customized fragrance. In mass market, nobody has ever launched this. So we have been very successful in doing this. So we try to find unique angles. If we have the unique angle, we press a button and we go ahead. Super fascinating. Love the idea of a scorecard in particular, where you can kind of rate and rank and score this product or this concept or this idea and really put it through a filter. We love that idea a lot. I also love that it's not necessarily the same weight to each part of the scorecard. So it sounds like Gianni, you're saying that uniqueness plays such a big part. So that is going to have a bigger weight on the scorecard than maybe a different part of it. So that's a really interesting takeaway for me. It is very correct what you're pointing out, uh, Jessica. It's really the uniqueness, the unique selling proposition eventually is always the thing that matters the most. And what about this idea of accessible beauty and making beauty more accessible to wider groups of people, whether it's demographical or geographical? We've certainly seen places like the Midwest geographically or just bringing beauty closer to the consumer. How is Maesa approaching that? We are looking at the market in a way which is, uh, in my view, really holistic. We look at every single segment uh, and we do a lot of analysis of this. We have been able recently to launch a line of skincare into Dollar General at a very great value for the consumer because we are offering products, uh, skincare products are very effective in terms of uh, benefit delivery, fantastic in terms of uh, cosmeticity at a price which is lower than $5. And that's a great example of something that probably many companies would believe it's almost impossible. The vast majority of our business in this very moment is uh, hair care. In hair care, we are really segmenting the market in every possible way, offering brands and products to elder consumers, to younger consumers, to wealthier consumers, to less wealthy consumers. 
and uh, also taking into consideration ethnicity. Right now, we have a very strong brand, which is called uh, TPH, Taraj B. Hansen, which caters to Afro-Americans, but in general, uh, not only to Afro-Americans, but to the general brown America. And that's another element that differentiates our portfolio versus uh, some other companies. Your portfolio is extensive but focused, which is a fantastic place to be in. The idea of this accessible beauty and skincare for $5 is an amazing concept. It's fantastic. It really brings great, healthy product to such a large market that up until now, it sounds like has really been underserved. So it really does drive home your point of serving underserved markets. So congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank you, Denise. Actually, I need to pass the congratulations to my team. I have a team which is a really very strong team. When I joined Maeza, I was coming from great companies, big companies. I was a little bit skeptical because at that point in time, I was afraid that we didn't have enough talent in a company of the size of Maeza. Well, I have to say that every single person that works in this company, my associates are all very talented even more talented than on average all the people I've worked with in the past in other companies. On average, I would say, because always you find talent everywhere. I love that, Gianni. I love your care for your team. I'd love to hear, as you've stepped into this role, I know you said you just started the early part of 2021, how have you approached building the team? How have you approached either maintaining the talent that's already there or bringing in more? Well, I found a very interesting team in this company. This is a company which is very diverse. So we have, like many other beauty companies, the vast majority of the population is made up by by women. But at the same time, we have also the management team, which is very well diversified in terms of gender, in terms of races, in terms of nationalities, in terms of experiences. Just to let you know that in my team, in my direct reports team, I have managers that come from big companies, managers that come from small companies, and I have also some of my executives are ex-founders or ex-entrepreneurs who merged their company into Maesa many years ago. So it is a very unique composition. When I joined, I found lots of talent. I didn't have to change much. I inserted some additional talent from outside, but I didn't really change much. I think that my big challenge for, with my leadership team was to integrate the, the cultures of somebody who has been an entrepreneur for all, all his life and somebody who has been an executive and a manager in big companies all his, all his life. So this integration has been the, the challenge. And now we've, I think we've achieved a great level of integration, a great level of teamwork and team spirit. And we've done this uh, applying the methodology of high-performance teaming which is uh, really something that's become uh, a real epiphany for, uh, for the team. No, and it sounds like you've really spent the last few months integrating the team into the business more and more, developing your structure and really doubling down on having a high-performing team. I'm just curious, in this new world that we live in and how beauty has evolved, what type of skill sets, mindset, emerging roles and so forth are you seeing happening in beauty? I'll give you an example. We're starting to see a lot more chief of staff 
being implemented, which is a rather new role as opposed to an executive assistant. And just the mindset and skill set required now to compete in this beauty environment. Would love to know kind of from your point of view, how you feel about that. I feel good because, uh, and I agree that there's, uh, there's been a change in the skill set which is needed now to be a, a, an effective uh, executive uh, in beauty. There's been a, a dramatic change in the market and so many changes. First of all, this is a market which has become even more dynamic than in the past because all the entry barriers have gone down. So everybody can, can come up with a, with a new product, with a new brand, with some kind of novelty. And so you need people who think fast and act fast. Second, you need people who have an holistic look at the business. I mean, this, the functionality and having a separate silos in, in companies is something that really creates uh, barriers. Huh? And uh, it's something which is uh, not good for the speed of action. And speed of action, as we said before, is really very important. It gives you a very strong competitive edge. The skills are skills of uh, people who can decide very fast, people who can have uh, the capability of taking on challenges in a way which is autonomous, people who can uh, really work very well in team when it is necessary, which is most of the time. So there's been a significant change in uh, the way recruiting and looking for new talent uh, to this company. Particularly when uh, it gets to young executives, the young executives in this moment, they are much more demanding than the young executives of 10 or 15 years ago. And they come from a generation that really wants to be listened to. It's a generation that really wants to be also rewarded. They want to have a very strong say. So it's not anymore the time of telling them what to do, but it's the time to listen to them and just give them some advice here and there, but allow them to do what they want. This is something that in a company like Maesa, we've been able to achieve. So exciting. The freedom, yet the teamwork and the collaboration, along with having some folks that are on the team that have that background and that firm foundation of good business practices. So yeah, congratulations. Sounds like an amazing team that you've got going there. And then you've got people around the world. Is that right? Yes. That's also another differentiating element. We were born international. Actually, Maesa was born in Paris more than 25 years ago. It was a French company that all of a sudden, at a certain point in time, acquired another business here in the United States. And the business in the United States was, by definition, bigger than the one in, in, in Europe. So they moved the headquarters here in the, in the United States. And then all, little by little, we continued developing our business in Europe. We developed a business in the United States. And uh, now we have a business which is very international. Today, we have offices uh, in uh, Paris, in Vienna, in London, in Dubai, in uh, New York, of course, our headquarters, in Los Angeles, China, and in Hong Kong. So absolutely with, it sounds like, different ages on your executive team, you've got different types of talent, and then, of course, now the multicultural aspect of having international employees as well. As the CEO and really the, the leader of this company, how do you find the ability to get them all working in the same direction? What are some of the tools that you have found work to keep the company aligned behind the major vision? Well, being clear about the strategy. That's, a, that's the most important thing. I spent a significant amount of time in my initial months in understanding what is the right strategy for this uh, company, crafting it out together with my leadership team, and then uh, now cascading it uh, throughout the, the company at all levels. 
and clear communication of the strategy, clear communication of the goals, clear communication of what is right and what is not right in terms of framework, because we don't want to give a straight jacket to everybody. We want to just create a framework, a strategy framework within which people can operate freely. Uh, that is uh, something uh, which has been uh, very effective for us. I mean, the reaction of our associates has been uh, very, very positive because they now understand what they're up to. They understand what, what is the, uh, the final price, and they also understand what are the behaviors, the values, the strategic approaches, the projects are right to run and the projects are not right to run. Well, you've built multinational teams before, so I have all the confidence in the world that you are going to do it again with this group and continue on. I would like to pivot a little bit and talk about this idea of sustainability and where MIESA stands on this piece of sustainability, the waste that beauty is producing. And I know that you've done some packaging things and so forth, but where are you headed from that point of view? Well, it is a very important element of our mix and of our strategy. In strategic terms, uh, we like to say that we every day we make proactive choices uh, in our journey to environmental neutrality and consumer wellness. That's a kind of label that we have very much in front of us. I want to substantiate this statement. This is a company which has uh, 95-97% of our products are clean according to the strictest uh, definition of clean, okay? All vegan, all cruelty-free, 100% of our packages are either recycled or recyclable. And we are embarking right now in a journey that aims at becoming completely carbon neutral by the next four years. This is something that is very important. It's it's a big challenge because, you know, becoming carbon neutral uh, entails uh, significant investments and decisions that are sometimes very tough to make. Recently, we have launched this year a brand, which is um, something I'm very, very proud of uh, on behalf of the team of Baeza that has developed it. And the brand is called Hey Humans. Hey Humans is a call to action. Actually, it's Hey Humans, we have a problem with plastic. So this is a brand which is 99% plastic-free. It's a personal care brand. It's made up of uh, several categories from uh, deodorants to body washes to body lotions to toothpastes. The packages are all plastic-free, but besides being a plastic-free brand, it's a brand which has uh, great products inside. So it's not just a a packaging game. And we are very proud of it. Uh, Now, we said 99%. Unfortunately, we cannot say 100% just because the toothpaste has the the cap, which is made up of uh, trash plastic that we take from the ocean. Really, 100% trash plastic taken from the ocean, but it's plastic. So you cannot say 100% plastic-free. The good thing is that I remember there was an announcement by one of the big players in personal care in the world a few years ago. They said that by 2025, they would have their first brand 100% plastic-free. Well, Little Maze has been able to launch a 99% plastic-free in March this year. That's fantastic. I love this conversation with sustainability. And I know it's something that as we are in this industry, we continue to have conversations around. So with the Hey Humans line, are there additional pieces that you're looking at to continue the sustainability or is it really only focuses plastic right now? Or are there definite additional pieces to add to it? There are definitely additional uh, things we should think of and we are thinking of. There are several uh, trends that are popping up here and there in the, in the world. 
In Europe, for instance, the uh, water-free uh, beauty is becoming uh, a very significant uh, segment. So we are looking at that. We are looking at many other possibilities. I think that as a company, we know that this is the right thing to do. So now we have a brand which is totally focused on sustainability, but also the other brands that are not 100% focused on sustainability and focused on other things, they have a very strong uh, element of sustainability in their mix. We launched a brand called Anomaly. Anomaly is a brand that we've launched together with Priyanka Chopra. Priyanka Chopra is the Indian actress uh, which, who was uh, Miss Universe a few years ago. Now, why are we interested in Priyanka? Just for her followers? No, we are interested in Priyanka because Priyanka has uh, a say when it gets to non-conventional hair. So this is a brand for non-conventional hair. It's great for, uh, in terms of formulations. But the good thing is that packaging is really 100% made of uh, trash plastic from landfill. It is probably the only brand of hair care shampoos or uh, conditioners that has a bottle that you can squeeze at the end. When you finish it, you can squeeze it uh, like a plastic bottle of uh, a very famous brand of mineral water in the United States that I don't want to mention. And I love that this comes back full circle, Gianni, to what you talked about and how important that co-founder that you find is. Because in Priyanka, for instance, it's the fact that she also has a deep care and love for this part of beauty. And so it has to be in alignment with the co-founder, their beliefs, and what they do every day with the product line that's being developed. We don't develop anything without a profound agreement with our co-founders. Uh, there is no product whatsoever which is not developed in details by working together with the co-founders, by finding the approval of the co-founders. And the co-founders try these products and either they love these products or they don't go to the marketplace. That is a great position and a fantastic stake in the ground because then you've got something to really leverage. It's not just them putting a name on it, but they're putting passion and who they are behind it. That is what authenticity is. That's fantastic. As we wrap this up, it's been a pleasure talking to you, but we do want to know a couple last things. Where do you see the future of beauty going in the next few years? We've had a lot of change with COVID and everything else. And what's on the horizon? What do you see? I see a great future for uh, beauty because uh, it's one of those categories that has demonstrated over the years that it's really very, very strong all the time, even uh, in war times, even uh, during the pandemic. Beauty is uh, a very solid uh, segment of fast-moving consumer goods. I believe that there's a world still to be developed. For instance, men's beauty, men's grooming. Men have been left behind up to now. We are seeing now significant development. We are seeing many more brands popping up, but I think there's still a lot to do in that area. General wellness, which means basically offering to consumers a multi-category brand that really caters to all the needs for wellness that the consumer has. Well, that's also another area which is really very important. It's gonna create, it's gonna grow very fast. I see a lot of development in uh, fragrances uh, to continue and uh, to go back probably to a moment uh, which was uh, probably much better in the past. And I think in uh, particularly in the United States, we will see fragrances uh, to increase dramatically. And we are seeing that there is a, a tendency to create something new with fragrances. 
technology is now allowing to have fragrances that generate uh, feelings and emotions in people. This is a true technology. It is science. It is uh, something that in the past was just a marketing gimmick. Now it's becoming a reality. So there are some very exciting uh, developments and I'm so happy that I am in this market. Well, I think it's fantastic. Some of these um, recommendations and ideas that you've put forth and where you're planning on taking Maesa is going to have a profound effect on our business, on our industry, and so forth. So we would love to thank you for being part of Beauty is Your Business and telling us a little bit about Maesa and yourself. And it's so exciting. And for one, I never knew you wanted to be a soccer player. And I thought I knew quite a bit. So <laughs> that sounds fantastic. That's a fun thing to learn about you. Well, thank you very much. By the way, I was a very good soccer player, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I almost became professional. Ah, not surprised. Thank you very much. I will. I really look forward to following you and your podcasts. You're doing a really great service to an industry which really needs to be cherished this way, the way that you guys do. Thank you. Thank you, Gianni. And if anybody does want to reach out to you or get a hold of you, is there a way they can reach you? Yes, of course. They can find me with my name and last name, Gianni Pieraccioni, in LinkedIn. So, and I will be very happy to, to connect. Thank you so much for coming and I hope you have a great rest of your week and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Beauty Is Your Business. Denise and I were thrilled to co-host this together. If you would like to find Denise or myself, please feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can follow Buzz Beauty Hive on Instagram or come check out our diary on buzzbeauty.com and see what we're buzzing about this week. This has been Beauty Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.